Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore, region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music-accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birth them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore, region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music-accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birth them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Folklorica Baltica, an exploration of folkloric realms in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Introduction It is November in an Estonian village, and it is the time of souls, when dead ancestors return and roam, visiting homes and enjoying the pleasures of life in the sauna. The living are setting their tables with the best that the autumn harvest and butchering can offer. Meat, bread, dumplings, and porridge. Another member of the household is readying the sauna, heating the small cottage with hot coals in a basket, and laying out soap, water, and birch branches. It is the time of year where spirits can enjoy once again the pleasures of living, nourishing food, warmth, and the gentle stimulation of lashing the skin with birch branches. In this time of extended night, There are forces afoot, and not just those of deceased ancestors. There might be Nututaya, the evil eye, whose envy distresses and disturbs the newborn, and is one amongst a number of supernatural threats around the globe that threaten the infant. Perhaps a symbol of the immense world, with all of its dangers, surrounding the vulnerable little one, the Nututaya's influence unsettles the baby, who becomes colicky and unable to sleep. In fact, Nututaya's envy, the evil eye, is so powerful that it creates what seems to be an entity in its own right. Uitkataya, the night whale. Yet, while the vulnerability of the infant is clear here, there is also perhaps an emphasis on the preciousness of a baby come into the world. This unlikely coming together of histories and ancestries, a line drawn through war and famine and peace and plenty to this point, a timeless timeline. The continuation of an ancestral line both on earth, through the living, and in the Milky Way where ancestral spirits dwell. 
This episode is dedicated to parents and their little ones, especially my dear, dear friends, Murad and Eva, and their little Noah. and the time of souls. Estonia. Early twilight whispered a darkening blue over the forest cemetery, encircled by the spindly old arms of ancient trees, leafless now and standing sentinel in this time between St. Michael's Day and St. Martin's Day. And nearby, a woodcutter and his little girl carried baskets of fresh bread, venison and pork, dumplings and porridge, to a wooden tongue-and-groove cabin in an ancient pine grove. When they opened the door, the little girl smiled at the metal basket of hot coals and warmth that encircled her. Quietly, they laid out the food on a wooden bench, and then water and soap and birch whisks were laid out as well. The little girl longed to throw off her clothes and luxuriate in the heat, to gently lash the skin with the birch twigs so that her skin would be rosy and soft. Yet, she knew that the feast and the sauna were not for her. So, when the woodcutter and his daughter left, they very, very quietly shut the door and winced when the expanded wood made it necessary to shove a little, for the sound grated the air if only for a moment. They could feel a gesture of irritation in darkening woodland, and they paused, listening. From their own home only a short distance, a squawking wail as thin and sharp as moonlight. Father and daughter turned to each other, hoping the spirits would not be disturbed by the night wail. Is the feast for them? Are those the ancestors? The little girl asked in a whisper. And when the woodcutter followed her gaze, he saw foot-shaped indentations being made in the grass, invisible forces soundlessly treading. And when the footprints all turned at the sound of the girl's whisper, and with a faster, more eager stride made towards the sauna, the woodcutter grabbed her hand and hurried back to the house. And when he looked over his shoulder, he saw the sauna door open and the golden red glow of coal light throw into relief forms like breath and steam and sighs. And in the ancestral cemetery, restless sighs like leaves with the power of speech. The little girl looked up at her father, pressing the question with wide eyes. Yes, child, he said. The ancestors see what we cannot and protect us from forces beyond our sight. 
perhaps they can do something about the night whale. Yes, they must be respected. In the woodcutter's home, the very night itself quivered with the bawling of the Uitkataya, the night whale. Swaddled and fed and cuddled, the newborn soul still seemed at odds with the fact of existence, despite mother's best efforts. Fret and fidget and whimper harassed the little one, and mother often heard restless sighs and humphs hissing out of the autumnal forest shadows. Yes, the souls of the ancestors paced and exhaled and warned through vague feelings of dread, warned mother and woodcutter and the little girl of otherworldly ears twitching at the sound. Beings of chaos who waited to slither into the dawn light or evening twilight, waiting for egress into human abodes. Yet, Uetkataya, the night whale, still settled upon the poor child, who screamed and wriggled in a terrible distress, who seemed harassed by forces that mother could neither touch nor see. Then one night, when mother had shouted her despair, when the metallic taste in her mouth and the stabbing heaviness in her skull collided with the infant's screams, a clear and vivid memory came to mother. Only days after the little one had been born, mother was sitting by the cradle, tired yet in awe of this pliant, rosy red person who had been invisible to her, yet ever-present, swaddled in her very own skin and being for those many months. Mother's skin prickled pleasantly when the baby squawked with hunger, and as she made to reach for the child to nurse it, a deeper sense set sharp anxieties through her abdomen. For the oilcloth covering the small window in front of her was being drawn to the side and wrinkled white fingers held the cloth. Framed by the window was a face chasmed with wrinkles. Ravines of sadness, they seemed, rather than the noble grooves of experience. A blue kerchief was on her head, and Mother realized she must be a widow. Yet her face, her gaze, something inhuman. And then tilting her head, the old woman gazed at the baby, who now wriggled and screamed with its face screwed up as if to cry and bellow. The woman gripped the edge of the window and pulled herself in slightly, examining the baby while moving, her head side to side, as if evaluating what she saw. And what do we have here wriggling away? 
the old woman rasped. And with this question came restless sighs and hoops hissing out of the autumnal forest shadows. Warnings from souls of her very own bloodline. Yet, before Mother could realize how pointed, full of magic the question was, before she could heed the warning of the ancestors, she found herself answering, My child. The old widow's head snapped up and she grinned, as if infused with a nefarious permission. Well, well, but he is lying so still, so small and vulnerable. Why, he could be swallowed whole. Do others have to do everything for him, this weakling? The child wailed. For from the old woman's eyes came a breath and a sigh, and so quickly did this vapor settle upon the child that mother had no time to snatch the baby up before the old widow darted backwards and disappeared with a squirrelish speed. After that, Uekitaya the night whale had harassed their household and so unrelenting was that restless wail from the little one, and so tired was Mother that it was only now that Mother realized who had slithered into the Ehalvagus, the evening twilight. It was Nututaya, the evil eye, that creature whose envy is a constant itch and who breathes restless irritation onto soft baby skin. And from that night on, these beings, these elves, these portions of chaos heard the child's cries course through the woodland and they hooked their fingers into the evening twilight and found passage through the window and onto the infant's swaddling clothes. Mother had been sleeping, had sunk into her chair from a fatigue that went straight down to the marrow and soaked the bones. And so she did not see the evening twilight shed its glowing path between all the spirit-haunted places of the Milky Way and this realm of earth and grass and blood and bone. For how can human eyes see and notice when the branches of the great world tree are linked by unfathomable roads and byways of celestial light? when our known celestial sphere is just a branch on that giant. The ancestral spirits can, of course, but poor mother's ears were clogged with fatigue and wail, and oh, how the child howled with gripe and colic. Uekitaya, the night whale, took the germinating seed of that restless widow's envy and planted it into the very breath and bone of the little one and the woodcutter's family. And they knew it was no ordinary infant restlessness, for mother had already raised children. No, the initial scream cut into you, and it had all the gut-piercing urgency of someone dangling on a precipice. Then, that cold crystal wail that ran through the air like icy gruel. No, Uikataya it was. 
and it was whispering in infant language all the discomfort and uncertainty of being outside the womb, and then flying around the cottage on the poor little one's distressed cries. And so the woodcutter and the daughter became gaunt and dark-eyed. Soon their tired bodies became open doors to coughs and phlegm, and mother felt her very being growing deaf from the cries of this inconsolable child. So one evening, she was too tired to notice that she had left strings on the spinning wheel. Now, this was not something one should ever do, let alone during the time of souls, when beings with strange senses can smell the small and precious things of human life. And as the family slept, the string on the spinning wheel, illuminated by the thin, sharp moonlight, a figure in the dark forest leapt towards the cottage. No twig or leaf cracking, just a silhouette that almost seemed to ice skate on cold air, a breath in female shape. It was in the mind twilight of one awakening from a dark slumber. During a rare moment of calm from the baby, that mother heard a rushing of wind in the woods that was like the baritone breath of a vast winter giant, both a rumble and an exhale. And then as her mind made its way through the grog of sleep, she propped herself up on her elbows with a sluggish curiosity. It was very dark, and so at first she could only hear. She could hear a rasping kind of chafe along with a breathy whirl. Something like tiny rapid exhales, like the coughs of an air elemental set to an uncanny and constant rhythm. And as the breathy whirl and the rasping chafe-like fabric, perhaps, as this continued, mother's eyes adjusted to the dark. Indeed, her eyes widened at the dark, gridded vision before her. The spinning wheel was whirling, whirling, spinning and spinning, and the pedal was going up and down, up and down, but no figure and no foot could be seen. And the sound of the spinning wheel, which had always been a soft yet lively lullaby, was now a breathy chafe reiterated into the hollow, silent night. Now, in the chair next to the spinning wheel, a pile of flax fibers floated slightly above the seat, and the fibers were being fed onto the yarn through the orifice, rhythmically as the wheel spun and the pedal went up and down, as if an invisible form had the flax in its lap. And Mother thought it strange that the flax fiber was not on the distaff, for to spin flax in this way was an impossible feat. And she straightened up, this realization bringing her into full wakefulness. And when she stood and padded with slow steps towards the wheel, it came to a stop. And something like a foot was 
withdrawn from the petal. Silence. The bundle of flax fibers ever so slightly lifted up and down, up and down as if being held to an abdomen, expanding and deflating with calm breaths. But there was no sound of breathing, nothing at all. Only that strange, distant rumble of wind could be heard now, and little whimpers coming from the baby's cot. And with a sound like axe on wood, the door of the cottage flung open, and a silhouette, ghostly with lithe, womanly limbs, came into vague focus and leapt from the chair. And as the child now began to scream, Uwekataya agitating and nipping at the poor little one's peace, the silhouette glided soundlessly as if ice skating on air, fleeing through the open door. The whole household was awake now, and mother felt the woodcutter's hand reach for hers in the darkness. She turned to her husband and whispered, I have seen the night, mother, a vision of death to come. You must go find the healer in the mire. Her husband held her to him and said, I will. The woodcutter set off as gray dawn yawned, meager light into the world, and cold mist hovered over the hardy green-yellow grasses, the peaty mud, and the deep black marsh pools. Steady in concentration, he took care as he crossed the mire in his bog shoes, for if they got stuck in the mud suddenly, it could send him tumbling. The mire plants its antediluvian layers of peat and mud and water. They all breathed antiquity. And he had heard it said that this ancient land had brooded for many thousands of years. That Suvana, the guardian of the wetlands, lived and moved and wandered as if one with the bog itself. He stopped, yanked from his thoughts. A hillock of gray-green grass and moss was rising up and down down as if the hillock was the breast of a softly breathing chest. He had heard travelers speak of the breathing mire, but he had never seen it. Perhaps it was the very lungs of Suvana who shared the same pulse as the bogs and the wildlife that surround him. 
Then when two bright eyes exuding light as silver white as moonlight hovered and blinked from between two meager trees, the woodcutter hurried on and willed himself to not look in those eyes. For those will-o'-the-wisps would send invisible hooks into the mind, drawing him onto wavering thin boglands. And perhaps he would only emerge from this fey hypnotism once he was submerged in deep black water. A nothingness that had no cardinal directions, up and down. And so he continued, focusing his gaze on a spruce tree of unusual immensity and a humble log and groove hut topped with brown pine needles. The mist was thick here, and a strange light emanated from the pool surrounding a mini peninsula of mud and peat and mire grasses. This was the home of the healer of the mire. No one knew what they looked like, but one thing was certain, their very being was a doorway, a path between the many realms of the great world tree and its unknown magics. The woodcutter opened the door of the cottage, the wood blackened by mire time, and the first sight that glared into his night-dimmed eyes was a hearth with a fire and a black cast iron pot. And hanging from every inch of the ceiling were plants and herbs, tobacco leaves fragrant and musk, baskets of bird cherry bark, eggs blessed for healing, field horsetail plants, and wormwood, savory, rich, and aromatic. In front of the fire was an old chair and a shadowed figure with a kerchiefed head. The air about the figure was all cold rains and mud and peat, the very breath of antiquity. Yet the aromas in the air were spirit and light and spring forests. Yet there was something about this shrouded figure with its fire nimbus that spoke of deep, coursing life and nourishing death. Before the woodcutter could utter a word of greeting, the healer of the mire began croaking out instructions, telling him which herbs and plants, which tools to put in baskets. When the woodcutter hesitated, the healer said, Do you wish the night whale to scream you all into insanity? And the woodcutter's answer was to bustle around this strange little cottage until he stood with a large basket full of magics. The bounty of ensorcelled woodlands and bogs, of rope makers and leathersmiths. Then the healer of the mire lifted a shawl over her head and stood, taking the woodcutter's arm. The healer said, Take me to your little one. And the woodcutter did. As the healer of the mire was led through the front door of the woodcutter's home, it seemed the Uitkataya had reached heights of shrill disquiet. The poor little one was being harassed by Nututaya, that creature whose envy is a constant itch and who breathes restless irritation onto soft baby skin. 
the healer bade the man to put the basket on the table, and as herbs and rope and bridge-shaped horse collar were arranged, magic was muttered over them with lips that could have been grandmotherly. And outside in the darkening pines, restless sighs and whispers mounted in intensity, like strong wind and clouds of insects. Something like a smile passed over the healer's face. And she said, your ancestors have come to help. So it began. The healer dunked the rope into blessed water and whisked the child with it. The night well subsided, but the child still whimpered and the air remained thin and cold and crackling. Then the woodcutter was instructed to coil the rope and through this coil, the child was passed three times. The healer crying out, may you pass reborn into the world and may Uitkataya remain in darkness. Something opaque lightened with her words, a pause in the perpetual wail, a softness like feathers in the low, low, thick baritone of sadness. But only for a moment. The healer nodded as if conceding defeat, but just this time. Then the woodcutter was instructed to bring the bridge-shaped leather horse collar, and when he touched it, a sense of finality, a terrible sense of finality, overcame him, and he knew that this had been on a horse who had drawn a coffin cart. Oh, a very potent magic here. And when he held it out to the healer, he looked through the horse collar, and before he could heed the warning of the healer to lower it, to not look through it, he did look through it, and he saw. In shadow, an ancient woman, a blue kerchief on her head, veins standing out on neck and forehead as if pent-up fear and rage threatened to burst them. And coughing, coughing, and with each cough came buzzing things and grit and blasts of heat and hunger and cold pockets of unknown width and depth. Some of these things could be seen, and some only felt. And the woodcutter dropped the horse collar in terror. And with a knowing glance at his terrified face, the healer picked it up. And so the little one was passed thrice through the horse collar, and the healer cried out, May you pass into the world reborn, and may Nutsutaya and her envy be drawn into the darkness. An audible breath from realms folded into that space, but so very distant. A breath like a relieved exhalation. And silence, deep and true, like when grief has been screamed and wept through every pore and is then dispersed. Look, said the healer, holding up the horse collar. The woodcutter looked. The ancient woman was gone, indeed. The air seemed scoured. The soul felt light. Yet that shrill disquiet remained. And though the little one only whimpered now, he writhed as if the very fact of being was uncomfortable, too much. The healer leaned over, kissed the infant on the forehead and said, Now for the handmill. 
Mother nodded and sat down on the floor with the healer. Both took the turning stick in hand and turned it counterclockwise, and the sound of grinding grain resounded in the silent wee hours of the day. And as both turned the turning stick and there was the grinding of grain, the healer looked at Mother and nodded. The ritual dialogue would begin. What are you grinding? the healer asked. I grind Uitkataya, I grind the night whale. Yes, good. Grind it so that it would be ground. The handmill went round and round, and as the grains became smaller, so the grinding noise softened. With it, a feeling like clean linen enveloped the room, so much so that the woodcutter wrapped his arms around his shoulders as if to feel the cloth. And looking into the cradle, they all saw that Baby's scrunched-up face was relaxing into a, a slight smile, though his limbs were agitated beyond natural baby movements. Healer and mother began again. What are you grinding? the healer asked. I grind Uitkataya. I grind the night whale, mother responds. Yes, good. Grind it so that it would be ground. The hand mill went round and round, and as the grains became smaller, so the grinding noise softened. And with it, a rhythmic whisper, an ancient lullaby, a song that breathed soft mothering hands onto the skin. Looking into the cradle, they saw his little arms and legs slowing, slowing. And then, for the final time, What are you grinding? the healer asked. I grind it, Kataya. I grind the night whale. Yes, good. Grind it so that it would be ground. The hand mill went round and round, and as the grains were thin to soft, soft powder, nourishing powder, hearth and home softness, so the night whale was thinned to nothing. And when they stopped grinding, the cottage door opened, and a beautiful wind circled through. And the little one cooed, cooed like a dove. What words can describe the first bright moment of peace in the midst of November darkness? There are no words, so all were silent and smiling, and sometimes exhaling great, relieved sighs as the little one settled into the slumber of swaddled love, known and felt in the bones and sinews. With no words, the woodcutter and his family set the table with fine bread and butter and cranberry preserves and sat the healer at the place of honor, though she protested gently. And as they sat to eat, mother placed her finger into the palm of the little one who curled his tiny fingers around it. Then there was a touch on mother's shoulder soft as song and strong as sky, and the scent of her own departed mother, a scent of rosehip water and hearth smoke, then a whispering, cooing sense of presence next to her own mother, and a growing sense of many forms all linked, invisible hands clasped, and on and on into the black vastness of the sky where the Milky Way blazed with infinite ancestral souls.